Hey, Electric Liberty Landers, today's show is brought to you by Ammo.com. Yes, Ammo.com, who are libertarians at heart. In fact, they came to us because they like the content of our show, not just you and your beautiful money. No, Ammo.com is actually run by libertarians. You can see that in the newsletters and articles that they publish daily. You can also see that in the donations they make on your behalf. Yes, because if you buy through Ammo.com, 1% of every order goes to a cause of your choice that is Liberty-related, and they've got some 30 or 40 on the website. So make sure you go to ammo.com forward slash Lions of Liberty, and if you do, you can get $20 off an order of $200 or more. Once again, that's ammo.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hey there, Electric Liberty Landers. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land episode 101, the show that follows the epic 100th episode, which of course aired last week. And you might notice my voice is a little bit harsh today. Uh, This is going to be a short episode. I have uh, had a long few days. I was out of town yesterday and uh, lost my voice. So I am uh, not able to go too long. So going to be very quick this episode. I promise you, I will make it up to you with an extra long episode next week. You have my word as a libertarian, a gentleman, and an alcoholic on that. Anyway, so let's get to a couple quick things here before my voice completely gives out. And uh, first things first, I just want to take great joy in seeing the ticket turnout and the sales for the Clintons tour. They're going around the t- you know going around the country, basically doing a more more money Mo Clintons tour, just money grubbing around. And these tickets are not selling out. They're they're booking you know like the ego of these people is just so funny you know, to think that Hillary Clinton in her own mind, still believes that she can sell out stadiums and that she is such a culturally relevant personage, despite the fact that she lost the election over two years ago now, that she's a person that really, when you get down to it, has accomplished virtually nothing in her life other than helping her husband put a generation of black men in jail by virtue of the drug war and all the three strikes legislation they put into place. And, uh, you know, just is sour, sour grapes. And oh, and let's not forget that she was uh, underhanded back dealing to uh, tank Bernie Sanders chances, which of course people did not really appreciate. So they've been touring around the country though, just putting more money in their pockets. And you wonder why they're doing this because you would think they'd have just oodles of cash lying around from all that Clinton foundation money, etc. cetera. And uh, the funny thing is that all the donations to the Clinton foundation dropped some 90% once Hillary Clinton left office. Once she was no longer Secretary of State, able to influence contracts and able to influence all these uh, all these backdoor deals with various nations to greenlight oil or greenlight uranium or greenlight any of these other trade agreements that the Secretary of State would oversee and, uh, and assist. Well, people just seemed to stop caring about all the good that the Clinton Foundation was doing. Can you imagine such a thing? Can you imagine the mouths that were agape at the Clinton Foundation when they saw that once Hillary Clinton's influence had disappeared, so did all of the dollars. So it makes you wonder, 
Is the Clinton Foundation doing any good whatsoever, or was it simply a very transparent money grab in order to peddle influence? And it seems very obvious. So anyway, Bill and Clinton, or Bill and uh, Hillary, are touring around the country to fill their pockets because this Clinton cash is no longer coming in from the foundation and their ticket sales. So they started off selling these tickets at something like, you know, $700. But as the stadiums refused to fill and they're booking at amphitheaters, they're not booking like, oh, you know, an intimate night with Hillary, with Billary. <laughs> they're not selling that. They're trying to get stadiums packed like Trump does. Like And, and Trump regularly his rallies that he holds are sold out and they're stadium size. So it's hilarious to watch Hillary Clinton and Bill struggle to fill, you know, a 10,000 seat amphitheater and instead are welcoming crowds. I think they said the attendance is something like 15%. 15% filled. A smattering of people to sit there and watch these two dotter on and whine about how Hillary was wronged. And just as hilarious, and I watched this, I was watching one clip of her having a giant coughing fit, which she's kind of been known for now. And they were, you know, this this poor moderator was posing her a question and talking about global warming, and Hillary's just coughing through it. And he asks her a direct question, and she just kind of goes, <laughs> and uh, weakly points at Bill, who then who then steps into the breach for her. Uh, it's just, it's too funny. It's just too damn funny. So that had given me a chuckle. But while we're talking about Trump, uh, as I referenced that Clinton basically just whines about Trump during these, uh, these appearances, Donald Trump was widely criticized by yours truly and by many others for the budget he pushed through for the military. There were massive military spending increases. He was saying that we needed to ramp up and bah, 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 support the troops and America's got to have all the best of everything. And now what's interesting is that the most recent statement from Trump is that he actually wants to cut $33 billion from defense spending, which is pretty interesting. Uh, now, of course, the predictable response from the neocons and the war hawks and all of those people who have a lot of military-industrial complex dollars going into their, their uh, campaign coffers is to say that this would be incredibly dangerous. You know, how are we supposed to make this happen? How are we supposed to afford all of our new toys? It's just ridiculous, especially in light of a recent story which broke in The Nation talking about how the Pentagon, which, of course, accounts for so many billions upon billions of dollars and the majority of spending in the United States goes to fund the Pentagon and all of our various war machinery. They tried to audit the Pentagon and they've been trying to do it for years now. And what they found is that there is an unbelievable amount of money laundering going on here. Something that basically the Pentagon does, so they always are crying poverty. They're saying, we don't have enough money to do this and that, and we need to plug holes for budgets here and there. So they're, even the, the budget they're getting isn't really the budget they're receiving. Like, yeah, like what's allotted, they spend vastly more money than that. And the Pentagon always says, well, we don't have enough money. So they tried to audit it. They brought in like six different firms, including Ernst & Young, which is like a huge accounting firm. And they said, look, we can't do it. Not only because the Pentagon is being so resistant, so uh, shady and, and obstructive, they're dragging their feet on getting paperwork through, but because there is literally so much money laundering, so much inadequate accounting and accountability, and also just switching of funds and mislabeling funds intentionally that we can't perform an audit. There's literally no way we can do it. 
And this Nation article is, is really fascinating, talking about how they do it. I'll give, I'll give one quick uh, read of this article, which I will link to at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL 101, which is where you can find all the show links for today's episode, as well as links to our, uh, our sponsor, ammo.com. So I'll read this story real quick. Among the laundering tactics the Pentagon uses, so-called, quote, one-year money, unquote, funds that Congress intends to be spent in a single fiscal year, gets shifted into a pool of five-year money. This maneuver exploits the fact that federal law does not require the return of of unspent five-year money during that five-year allocation period. Isn't that cute? So then another one, they say, the phony numbers are referred to inside the Pentagon as plugs, as in they plug a hole uh, or nippering which is uh, basically a reference to a sharp, sharp-nosed tool used to snip off bits of wire or metal. And it's Pentagon slang for shifting money from congressionally authorized purposes to a different purpose. This nippering can be repeated multiple times until the funds become virtually untraceable. And the plugs can be massive. In fiscal year 2015, Congress appropriated $122 billion for the U.S. Army, Yet DOD financial records for the Army's 2015 budget included a whopping $6.5 trillion in plugs. Most of these plugs had no supporting documentation. So we are just, I mean, to see these clowns try to fight a $33 billion spending cut. Well, we already have the largest military budget in the world by far. Now, China, admittedly, is getting a little closer, but it's still nowhere near what we're spending. And that's the spending that we know about. These jerk-offs are crying about $33 billion in spending cuts that Trump wants to do. Meanwhile, you've got trillions of dollars being misappropriated, miscategorized, just pushed around in different piles, and the Pentagon is sitting on a massive reserve of funds that the taxpayers, that Congress, that nobody knows about except the warmongers that are in control of of, uh, of the scheme going on behind the scenes there. I mean, it's just, it's amazing when you look at the public theater going on over this budget and these spending cuts, and then you see what's going on behind the scenes. The pulleys that are being uh, rigged just makes me so pissed off. All right, again, going to go through quickly. Next story I want to talk about is uh, CEO Tim Cook of Apple talking about uh, the American uh, Anti-Defamation League, probably not American, the Anti-Defamation League event, which of course is a uh, organization that puts itself forward as fighting against anti-Semitism and hate speech, of course, uh, in reality is usually used as a cudgel by organizations like APAC to go after political uh, opponents. But Tim Cook was speaking there and he said that banning hate and banning people that are divisive from social media platforms and censoring them is the right thing to do. Censoring those who push hate and division across his company's digital platforms is the right thing to do. Which, of course, is an insane statement considering the power that Apple has and Apple wields. Now, granted, hey, Apple is a private company. I would argue Apple is far more of a private company than, say, a Facebook or another social media platform. But they do govern their apps. They do govern music. They govern all these different money-making venues. And if you're a business that's looking to put an app out there or say has a social media platform of your own, you need to have an app on the iPhone. Otherwise you are virtually invisible. 
So for Tim Cook to say that he's he believes that it's right to censor these people who are divisive or hateful, that just, again, opens up this massive can of worms. The same thing we're seeing with Twitter and, and Facebook and all these other social platforms. And, and it really does scare me when you see these tech CEOs that wield so much power and have so much influence and have products in the marketplace to this extent talk about censorship in this way. Because, of course, like anything, the concept of hate is utterly subjective. I mean, what's hate to someone is completely acceptable in another culture and, in fact, probably encouraged in that culture. And just because Tim Cook and his other cronies in Silicon Valley might have a certain perception about what or is not hate, like, for example, we as libertarians, if we're calling for an end to government subsidy programs, and let's say those government subsidy programs disproportionately go to black America or go to, uh, let's say, Hispanics, well, is it is then calling for an end to those programs hateful? It certainly is divisive. I would argue that virtually all of our libertarian uh, policies are divisive in one way or the other. But that's not a bad thing. Being divisive doesn't mean that it's evil or hateful or wrong. It simply means that it divides people's opinions. And in fact, that's, that's something that should be discussed. It should be encouraged. It shouldn't be censored. It's like, you know, it just comes back to the fundamental free speech question. You know, why hate speech is such an idiotic thing to ban? Because it is completely subjective. And by banning hate speech, well, you're not getting rid of it. All you're doing is driving it to different corners of the internet, or driving to different corners where it, it can seed and fester rather than be brought out in the light and be uh, eradicated by common sense, logic, and discussion. So we're seeing more of this. And, you know, when we see the combination of these things all come together, this confluence of social media censorship, now we're seeing uh, platform censorship by phone manufacturers. We're seeing ISPs deplatform, uh, you know, different social medias. I'm trying to remember the people, uh, what the network was called that got deplatformed because the one of the shooters had been on there. This <laughs> is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. But I mean, this kind of stuff, these people come together is terrifying. And that's why, you know, it's, I, I hope, I believe in the free market. I, don't, well, I shouldn't say I hope I believe in the free I do believe in the free market, but you know, it's going to be a rough patch if these people continue to get power and there's no other market, uh, market force that comes up and rises to provide an alternative. I mean, if I had the wherewithal hell, I'd, I'd do my best to get something going right now. I know I've already been looking around at a lot of different hosting services. And we also see, and this has nothing to do necessarily with uh, Tim Cook, but you want to see an interesting market reaction to censorship. Uh, Tumblr, which of course is a very popular online blogging platform. People use it to build, they can build websites even on, and within Tumblr. But Tumblr, which is known primarily for porn, <laughs> there's other things on there, but some 25%, I think, of uh, accounts on Tumblr view pornography, or, or actually I think it's vastly more than that. Uh, but they decided that, since they got bought out by this major conglomerate, I believe it was Amazon, or, or no, sorry, it's Yahoo bought them out. And uh, now under a subsidiary called Oath, I believe it is, owns Tumblr. They've decided that, well, it's too much of a liability because a couple of pictures of child porn had gotten through the filters, which of course were immediately deleted and the account suspended or, uh, or deleted off the, their platform. But because of that, it was too much of a liability to have any porn at all. So they just announced that as of December 17th, they are going to eradicate all porn and all adult images from Tumblr. 
Now, the result of this is going to be predictable. Because Tumblr already, they just put in a new array of uh, ads because of this corporate takeover. So already the experience had been getting degraded and, and downgraded because it was becoming a little bit more annoying to use the platform in general, just scrolling through. There's ads you don't want to see that are annoying. That you're, you know, so it became a little bit less of a, uh, an entertaining experience from a user perspective. And now they're going to ban you know, half the content that's on there and half the reason people even go to Tumblr in the first place. So you already have an app that's that's on the downside because by the time these apps typically get bought, they're already getting stale because the next big thing is upcoming and the generation of people that's using them is moving on. So you got this platform that's already going to be losing popularity. That's already got a lowered user experience that is now going to be censoring the content that pulls half of their user base to the app in the first place. I mean, you talk about a recipe for disaster that these people have created. They bought this thing. They bought this shiny new toy. And then they immediately decided that they were just going to step on it and throw it in the garbage. Just completely idiotic. Okay, let's get a little uh, into George W. bush George H.W. Bush, I should say. And I'll wrap up on this because as you can tell... Uh, things are getting a little difficult for the old voice here. Uh, George H.W. Bush is dead. I try not to go too far out of my way to dance on the graves of people right after they die. But uh, George W. Bush is, of course, receiving the hero's welcome from all sides, Democrats, Republicans, everybody. I think I, even, I should really fact check this, but I think even Rand Paul or somebody had, had posted something about George Bush saying, oh, rest in peace, great man. Uh, and again, fact check me on that. But I, I thought I saw it flipping through Twitter. But anywho, you talk about a guy who is just getting feeded, at, just like John McCain, who in reality brought nothing to the table of, of worth. I mean, he, he's what known for what, guys? He's known for blasting the living shit out of Iraq. And really, and that you know, Saddam was still there, which is why old little George W. He had to go in there and finish the job and make up the whole thing about WMDs. But you have him go in there. I remember this war when I was a kid, sitting around, and this is back, you know, when I, I was still very, very nationalistic then, sitting in front of the TV, going, "Oh wow, go America! Look at us kicking butt, taking names, shock and awe, baby." Which is exactly what I sounded like as a kid. This voice included, like a little Lindsay Lohan. But, I mean, that, that, that war was really uh, something because it was the first time we also had that on-the-ground reporting. You know, we had embedded reporters on the ground in Iraq and running around, making a lot of uh, a lot of sons of bitches I hate today famous back then. Really gave them their, their starts. But you had this, this war start because Iraq, had, you know, the, Iraq didn't like Israel. Of course, nobody there likes Israel for the most part. Iraq didn't like Israel. They invaded Kuwait. The U.S. had to go and put troops in Saudi Arabia, which, of course, set the stage for U.S. uh, or Saudi Arabian uh, resentment of U.S. troops being in their country all the time. We have this war, which doesn't quite go all the way to destabilize the region, but sets the stage for destabilizing the region because we undermine Saddam Hussein, cut the forces down. And again, for what? You know, it's to support oil, to support Israel to support uh, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, which uh, where where all the uh, the terrorists from 9-11 from? Well, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, our allies. But this war that he took part in 
was just, you know, while being a military success was a failure in regards to the way that it sets the stage for everything to follow and was wholly unnecessary in every way. I mean, to go in there and completely ravage a country set us up to be, I mean, there today, you know, to a continued presence that who knows how long it's going to go on, who knows when it's going to end. You could argue that really he set the stage for all of the terrorist reactions that exist in America, uh, that are existing and spreading across with ISIS and Al-Qaeda and all these other things. I mean, they're all tied in. Now, Al-Qaeda, of course, was funded by the United States and armed by the United States. But, you know, again, these things are related. And it does just make you think how long we've been over there messing with politics, destabilizing regions, overthrowing dictators, just mucking around in the Middle East when it is across the world. It has virtually nothing to do with us, especially in today's world when we have our own oil, we've got reserves, we've got fracking, we've got a million other alternatives to this Arab oil exports. But George W. Bush had to go in there. He had to shock and awe. He had to show he was a big dog. So that's the one thing you know, I'll always remember him for, as will most people, uh, is his aggressive, aggressive foreign policy, as well as a failure to cut taxes, even though he had campaigned on it. That was one of the things I always remember. You know, it was his famous line, read my lips, no new taxes. So that was another one. He gave it away. He, he bargained with the Democrats and ended up actually raising the tax rate on the, uh, the top earners. And so just, you know, while he wasn't the worst president the, of my lifetime, you know, he's definitely, I'd still say he was arguably much better than George W. Bush. Obviously uh, I would say that he probably, in my opinion, was even on par or a little bit better than Obama, but he's nobody to be, uh, to be honored. He's nobody that we should look to and say, ah, he was a true leader, a libertarian. He was a conservative that we could get behind with, uh, with our values in any way, because he just wasn't. And again, to see the red carpet rolled out for him to see that, oh, we got to shut down the New York stock exchange. We got to dedicate all this stuff to him. We got to have a national funeral. And uh, bah, 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 bah. it's just, it's not to be uh, unexpected, but it is a bit absurd. All right, we'll do uh, one more story. One more story. I sound like an old freaking coal miner over here. And then we will call it a day, folks. So bear with me, and I'll be right back. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one -on -one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jiu-jitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show. All right, we're back with one quick story. I got to talk a little bit about this uh, story from 
Uh, it's in the Columbia Spectator, Columbia Daily Spectator. And this is from, this is a story wherein a comedian and uh, he used to write on Saturday Night Live, Nimish Patel, was performing at a event called Culture Shock at Columbia. And it was put on by the Columbia Asian American Alliance. And uh, <laughs> just, it's so funny because the name of the event is Culture Shock. Anyway, this guy is uh, the first Indian American writer who ever was on the Saturday Night Live. He is nominated for Emmys, etc. And he goes up and he's talking about being in New York City where he's talking about, a, he says this joke about a gay black man who's in his neighborhood. And he said that, the, you know, this is part of the joke. I don't know it verbatim. I'm just reading this. But he says, he's joking that being gay can't be a choice because no one looks in the mirror and thinks, this black thing is too easy. Let me add another thing to it. Now, of course, I roll my eyes at this a little bit because it's, it's you know, I was talking about the pandering society in, uh, in ELL's 100th episode last week. And this is a very pandering joke, but it still is a joke yeah, for what it's worth. Not a great joke, but it's a joke. But anyway, he says this joke and members of the AAA, the, what the hell was it again? The uh, Asian American Alliance interrupt the performance. They cut his microphone off, microphone off, and then they denounce his jokes about identities and sexual orientation before giving him a few moments of closing remarks. <laughs> and of course, what this joke, I guess his other jokes were doing pretty well, but this one joke got less laughter from the crowd. And they said, oh, it's too much, even though the other jokes, I guess, were fine. And of course, the guy's like, look, I mean, arguably, I, I know uh, Indians aren't black per se, but they're definitely people of color, are they not? People that, I mean, they just took a poo off of the freaking Simpsons because he was too offensive. So it's not like we haven't had Asians or uh, stereotypes about Indian people throughout uh, history in this country, and they haven't experienced their own racism and segregation in some way, shape, or form. And again, I'm not saying they've had the exact same experience as black people. Don't, don't take it in that way. But clearly, this is still a man of color. And this guy's going up, he's making a joke, basically saying, I understand that it's difficult to be gay and it's difficult to be black. So if you're you know, to say that, <laughs> to say that gay is a choice, right? Understand nature versus nurture. Well, why would you do that? Ha ha ha. It's fine. Nothing about that is offensive. Nothing about it even. And that's why it's not really a good joke because nothing about it is interesting or clever. It's just kind of pandering. So for these little wussy pussball fucks to get upset about this joke of all jokes and people wrote in letters. I got to read you some of this. Here's one that's it's this is an op-ed because uh, Reason pulled an op-ed that was written in. If you're black and gay, you don't need a straight South Asian guy to point out that your life is hard because you're black and gay. OK, well, that's fine, man. But that, that being said. You could have a issue saying, well, I don't like being pointed out that I'm black and gay. He's still on your side, though. Like, this is what I talk about, the left eating itself. You are watching this in real time. The least offensive, most PC-conscious, pandering humor in the world is now too offensive for these people to get behind. And everything is taken so personally. You know, this guy, I mean, let's, let's just take a look at that quote again. If you're black and gay, you don't need a straight South, South Asian guy to point out your life is hard because you're black and gay. Okay, well, look, if you're black and gay, 
Don't take it so personally. He's not pointing out that you're anything because the joke isn't necessarily about your life. You might have had a different life experience. It's a joke. It's a general concept. It's not about you. So don't you don't get your little dick stepped on. Don't get so upset. Don't shriek and run away like a little mouse that got crushed by someone's foot going through the traffic at the marketplace. And you got to take your cheese and you got to run into the little hole in the wall and just hide there. You just got to hide there because the world's a dangerous place until you find someone's hat to go up and hide under. And then you become a chef in a restaurant like in Ratatouille. I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. The guy's pointing out that life is hard for you. He is pandering to you. He is trying to be a supporter and an ally to you. And all you can do is say, turn off his fucking microphone. I can't take it and I want to go home. (laughs) This is Columbia, by the way. This is like an Ivy League school. These people are supposed to be the future leaders of the world that are being groomed in this leftist mind control box. Jesus Christ. All right, that's it. I can't talk anymore. I'm losing it. I'm done. All right, guys, thank you for listening. I, uh, like I said, I promise I'll do an extra long episode next week when I actually have a voice for today. A reminder to listen to Mark Claire on Mondays with his interviews with Leaders of Liberty Movement. If you missed it, we did our Liberty Draft this past Monday. The uh, Well, the supplemental draft is going to be a multi-stage draft this year, but uh, I won't give too much away, but I will say that we did allow Ron Paul to be drafted this year. So you'll have to tune into that to see who, who went in this supplemental draft rounds. And of course, listen to John Odermatt on Friday with felony Fridays and his in-depth look at the issues with the criminal justice system. Some amazing stories on there. All right. That's it from me, Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty from electric Liberty land. Always stay plugged in. (laughs) 